All right, well, by way of introduction this morning, I am so glad that you uh, made it a priority to be part of the Frozen Chosen here this morning, braving Snowmageddon to make it here. We were aware that uh, with the frigid temperatures that our attendance might look a little wonky here this morning. So thank you for being an encouragement by making a priority to be in church here this morning. There was one casualty of the cold weather this morning, and it was our projection computer. And so I start getting mad text messages this morning saying, did you upload the presentation? I'm like, I sure did. (laughs) And uh, uh, something happened that the computer didn't like the cold and it reset and we lost everything that we did after Wednesday. So nothing that was saved on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or this morning was in there. So I say that because um, I know that there are many people here who have the same uh, disease I have called OCD. I'm so OCD that I'm DC, uh, what is it, CDO, you know, I got to have it all right. So here's the deal. Um, while we're not going to have the traditional kind of projection thing with all the notes, I have, I have something that we've been working on for a while that we haven't really announced. I don't know how many of you uh, use UVersion. UVersion is a wonderful Bible app. And so it, it, it's, the app is just Bible, and uh, it's a little brown, it says Holy Bible. And when you download that thing, it's really pretty a, a, a pretty cool thing. I think we've got some stuff up here. This is kind of what it looks like. And uh, when you download it, it's a free app. It's been downloaded like 300 million times. What's cool is if you go to the more button that's circled down there, it'll take you here. And then if you click events, there's something that we've been doing for, I don't know, a month, six weeks now. Um, Northside Baptist Church is one of just a few churches that will actually show up on the map. And here's what's cool is our entire bulletin is on version. And so it's got, like, uh, not a presentation, but it's got everything in there. So you can see it just says, here's the date, here's activities, here's how to give online, text to give, and then it gets right through the presentation like we normally do. So here, here's, here's the deal. If you are like um, my kids in the bulletin, they use the fill-in-the-blanks like a Mad Lib. And so uh, I don't recommend that you do that. That'll get you in trouble at home. Um, my son already filled it all out with what he thinks I'm going to say. And so that's really kind of fun. Um, hours of endless entertainment there. But here's the deal. If you want to play around on your phone for a few minutes and not get accused of playing free sale or, you know, um, Farmville or whatever, you know, you can do that. Find that Bible app. Uh, once you set up an account, it transfers from phone to phone. You can access on your, this on your computer, on your mobile devices. And so we've been talking about that for a while, and we figured with the um, projection program not being saved this morning, now would be a good time to talk about it. We really would like to make version kind of our official Bible app, because the thing that's cool is under each of those slides, once we get into the sermon, if there's a quote or something that's said, and you want to make a little note, kind of write your own stuff in there, when you click save, you don't need to take a little piece of paper home and save it and put it in a folder. It's saved in the cloud forever. And so uh, the other thing about it is there's about a thousand Bible reading plans in there. So there's devotionals. People have said, man, I want to do a Bible reading plan. Um, I need a devotional. Um, they're completely free. And the thing that's awesome is if I'm friends with Ed LaRock, I can see what Ed's reading. And that's an encouragement to me, you know. And it, it helps me keep Ed in line, which is great too. He needs it. So, um, <laughs> so uh Please consider using the Uversion app if you are um, challenged to kind of follow along with me. I'm going to make this really easy because it's a, it's a pretty simple uh, sermon here this morning. Um, and the, uh, the challenge is not in the simplicity of the outline. It's in the truth that we're called to live out. Um, it's a big deal. And let me start with a story. Um, 
I don't get sick often. I mean, I, I get a sore throat like everybody else, deal with cold, the flu. <clears throat> don't get headaches very often. I don't, like to take, I don't like to take anything at all. So like if I've got a headache and I take medicine, you know, Advil, whatever, um, then you know it's bad. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, I just started having headaches all the time, all the time, all the time. I'm like, all right, what's going on here? I know it's not sinuses. There's something happening. So um, I, I, I figure um, I am well-known for being a cheapskate, and all my family said, amen, um, he's a cheapskate, um, so like when I get contacts, and they say, you can wear these for two weeks, no, that's like a personal challenge, I'm like, six months, baby, you know, so uh, I, I make those contacts stretch a lot longer than I probably should, and I figured that's probably the cause of my headaches, I need new contacts, and I used them up, and I used the last pair even longer, because I had no other replacements, so I, I try to go online and order a new set of contacts, and my prescription has expired. So, like, I think they're good for two or three years. So now I have to make an appointment. All I want is a prescription. I don't want an appointment, but I have to... Uh, I hope there are no eye doctors in here. I'm going to get sued. Um, i, I got to make an appointment now to get all this done. And so they do an eye test. I don't want an eye test. I want a prescription. And then he comes in and he goes, well, I got good news and I got bad news. I didn't come here for good news and bad news. I came here for prescription. He goes, good news is your prescription has not changed at all since the last time you've been here. Woohoo! that's great. Bad news is the next time I see you, you're probably going to need bifocals. I looked at him and I went, what are you talking about, doctor? <laughs> that's terrible. Bifocals, how do you know? Is there something wrong with my eyes, doc? He's like, no. He goes, you're just on the cusp of that age. That I probably won't see you for another three, four, five, six years. And about that time, you're probably going to need bifocals. I'm like, you're fired. I don't want to see you again. I need another doctor. We had a similar experience with Marzi. A couple years ago, she got LASIK. And, you know, that's where they cut your eyeballs out and replace them with something that works better. It's a crazy process. But they tell her that they can correct her vision. She, and she has no idea I'm using her as an illustration here this morning. So wait till I get to the good part. <laughs> There's no lunch for me. I'm cut off. I'm, I'm done. <clears throat> so she goes, and they do the, the thing. And you have to sign all the waivers about there's a high probability you're going to die from this procedure and um, all the legal stuff. And then they tell her, they're like, we can correct your distance vision and make it perfect. 2020, you know, even better than 2020. But they said, the problem is the further we correct your distance vision, the worse your close vision is going to be. So which do you want? Which one do you want? You want to be farsighted? You want to be nearsighted? And I don't know which one either of those are, but I know that's what they're called. I think far-sighted, you can see far. You can't see near. So you want to be far-sighted, you want to be near-sighted. And then they came up with a solution. We'll fix this eye to be perfect, and we'll, we'll not fix this eye perfect. We'll keep, it'll be better for short vision. It'll drive you crazy in the short run, but long-term, you'll be better. And I'm like, I, my eyes just start crossing when they start talking about one fixed and one not fixed. I'm like, mm. and, and so it, it was kind of like you were forced to choose between near-sightedness or far-sightedness. And thankfully, they had a process that would kind of balance the both of those. But what would you choose? Would you rather be able to see far or see near? You don't want to choose, do you? Kind of like me. I want both. Do you want to be nearsighted or farsighted? No, I would rather be both. And the truth is that spiritually speaking, we're kind of guilty of the same thing. We, we are called to focus on two things. And uh, instead of going cross-eyed, we just decide to focus on one and not the other. So how do you choose what you're going to focus on as a Christian in the new year? If you're anything like me, and 
I put my pants on one leg at a time like you, you probably pick something that's more comfortable, something that kind of fits in your wheelhouse, uh, something that kind of is easy for you, and you choose to neglect the thing that is maybe a little bit less palatable, more difficult, less easy. And if we boil it down to two big commands that the Lord gives us, it really comes down to this. The two big commands that are an appropriate summary of the entire Christian life simply stated are we are to know Him and to make Him known. To know Him and to make Him known. To know Him personally. And listen, they go together like a hand in a glove. What kind of job are you going to do making Him known if you don't know Him? You can't introduce strangers. You've got you to know something about a person before you can share information about him to someone else. We are to know him personally, intimately, savingly, and we are to be engaged in making him known to people who don't know him. So let's just stop right there, okay? And if that's the end of the sermon, guys, encouragement, exhortation, proclamation, we are to know him and make him known. Period, end of the sentence, done. Isn't that what you want to do? Like, I cannot, I cannot for the life of me believe that the Holy Spirit indwells anyone who doesn't want to do this. So I would, I would like to, as an assumption, problem is assumptions are problematic. I would like to assume and operate from that presupposition that this is what we want to do. In our heart, because Christ has redeemed us, we want to know Him. And you know what? Making Him known, that's scary, that's not comfortable but it's a blessed privilege and responsibility that we have to make him known. Isn't this truly the motivation for the best things that we're called to do? It is. So I want you to consider here for a second what the scriptures say about knowing him. And you'll see these scriptures up. I think we've, we were able to salvage some scripture passages. You see them listed here in your outline. Uh, John 17, 3, Jeremiah 9, and Philippians 3. Listen to what the scriptures say about knowing him. John 17, 3 is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He prays this for the disciples while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the, one, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Now, here, here's the trick question. John 17, 3, what is eternal life? Not trick question. What is eternal life? Knowing God and knowing the one who he sent, Jesus Christ. Do you need to hear that in Hebrew or in Greek? Or do you need a diagram of that verse to explain it to you? No. It says eternal life is knowing Jesus. Now here's the thing that's not politically correct, but it's biblically correct. And friends, let me just encourage you, in a world that is whitewashed with political correctness, biblical correctness is always more important for you. In the short run and the long run, it is what you want. Here's the opposite. If knowing Christ is eternal life, what's the opposite? Not knowing Christ is no spiritual life. Zero. You are a husk of a person, okay? And I don't say this to be mean-spirited. I say this to be truthful. The Bible says you can have bios, biological life, without having zoe, eternal life, spiritual life. And so you are, outside of Christ, you're a robot, you're a sack of flesh and blood, but you do not have the animating presence of the Holy Spirit to make you alive. And as politically correct as that is, Jesus himself says it is eternal life to know God and to know Jesus Christ. There is no life that is ultimately valuable 
apart from knowing him. Jeremiah 9, let's go from Jesus' words to Old Testament prophet. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. The wise man must not boast in his wisdom. The strong man must not boast in his strength. The wealthy man must not boast in his wrath, his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. If we compare ourselves with each other, there's always going to be something you can boast about. I'm smarter. My test scores were higher. I get more money. I have a higher paying job than you. Um, I win at Bible Trivia Pursuit better, you know, whatever. He says the thing that we should boast in is knowing and understanding God. And here's the thing that's crazy. When you boast in understanding and knowing God, it's actually a form of humility because God has granted to you that wisdom. Not, you know, I'm like Mensa capable. No, no, it's God. This is his declaration to boast about knowing and understanding me. Go back to the New Testament, to a New Testament epistle, Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Paul says this, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He goes down uh, a couple sentences and he says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Three times, and there are other scriptures that we could go to that talk about this irreducible priority of knowing him. Knowing him, it is the most important thing. And so, friends, we understand this, that when we talk about the book called The Christian Life, the very first chapter is knowing him. And you know what? The very last chapter is knowing him. And you know what? Every chapter in between is about knowing him. We are commanded to know God, not just appreciate him, not just be Facebook friends, not just kind of tag him in a photo, but to know him and to let that knowledge just seep out of our life. I love this about John Bunyan, famous, uh, famous Puritan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, he, got, he was uh, charged with his preaching uh, he got put in jail because of his preaching because he was preaching salvation by grace and by faith alone in Christ. Well, they threw him in jail and he said, um, if I can't preach in person, I'll write books. And so he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, one of the greatest Christian books ever to be written. And they were set, it was said of him that he was so full of Christ and so full of the Bible that if you cut him, he wouldn't have bled blood. He would have bled the Bible. I would love for that to be said of me. That... I would love that to be said of you, that you are, have such a passion for knowing Christ, that you just bleed the Bible, that it oozes out, that you sweat the Bible, that you speak the Bible, that you perspire the Bible, that when you get squeezed, the thing that comes out of you is the Word of God. Because that's how we know Him. We don't know anything about Jesus apart from the Scriptures. It's about knowing Him and letting that knowledge affect every area of life. So here's the question. Do you want to know him better in 2017 than you did in 2016? This is yes. This is, I stayed up too late last night. You want to know him better? What practical help can I give you? Uh, two things. And this is not, it, it, underwhelming would be uh, an overstatement. Uh, just two very simple things. Number one, commit to regular personal time in the Word. Commit 
to regular personal time in the Word. Make it a priority. That's one of the reasons we want to make Version our official Bible app because we want you to have appropriate accountability and you can share what you're reading with whoever you want. Share it with your Sunday school teacher. Share it with your Sunday school classmate, people in your small group, a friend that you're doing life together with, kind of being, discipling each other, doing that kind of stuff. Uh, it's important. Like for me, uh, I, I've had a conversation with a, a good friend and we've talked about what, what is the optimal time for spending time in the Word. And he said, for me, it is not in the morning. And uh, here's, here's what I have found for me, okay? So there are some among us that their time in the Word is going to be better, maybe at lunch break, maybe at bedtime. For me, here's what I have found, okay? And I don't make resolutions, I make commitments. You know what resolutions are, things that you will break at some point in the future. Commitments are different. So same thing, but I, I don't like to call them resolutions, commitments. Um, the first thing I do when my eyes open up is spend time in the Word. I know I need to do that because I have found more frequently that once I get out of bed and I get dressed, there's kids to get ready for school, there's kitchen to clean up, get everybody there on, on time, um, help the girls with their makeup. <laughs> they would hate that. I don't help them with their makeup. They would, they would not be a good thing. Um, get them to school on time, make sure everybody's got their lunch, get to work, and then so-and-so's in the hospital, there's this to happen, somebody wait in the office, and then my day instead of being something that is well executed, becomes something that is very reactionary to everything that I didn't know needed to be in my agenda. And it's quite possible if I don't give the very first part of my time that everybody else takes up all my time and I don't spend the time with the Lord that I need to. I don't assume I'm the only one who's like that. So um, waking up is not the most fertile and engaging um, period of time in my life. Um, I, I speak in monosyllables and grunt and groan mostly. And so when I open my eyes, I say, God, help me to wake up and help me to profitably spend time in your word because I want this to be the priority and it's going to be the very first thing that I do. And then I open your version, I go to my, my, whatever my reading plan is. And um, guess what? All the other stuff that's going to happen in my day is still going to happen. But what have I done? I've spent time in the word is the very first thing that I do before I say good morning to my wife, before I brush my teeth. And you could make an argument that maybe I need to reverse those two priorities, but um, before anything happens, I'm spending time in the Word, and I'm making it a priority to spend personal and um, uh, spending personal, uh, accountable time in the Word and making it a regular thing. Call me crazy, but I think you guys would probably profit from that too. The thing that's dangerous for me is the Bible is actually an occupational hazard because at any point, if you walk into my office, I am probably preparing a Bible study or a sermon and there is that familiarity breeds contempt and preparing for a sermon or a Bible study is not feeding my soul. It's trying to feed y'all. It's possible to be a baker and starve because you're so busy baking for other people that you're not reading it for yourself. And I don't want to substitute. I don't want to be lazy and say my preparation for this week's sermon was my quiet time. I don't want to do that. I'm going to do that. So I need regular personal time in the Word, just like everybody else. Number two, make Sunday a priority. <clears throat> now, I understand how awkward it is for me to say that because it's like negative seven degrees outside and y'all are here. Okay, so I'm preaching to the choir. Make Sunday a priority. Uh, this is not a typical sermon for me. I like to find a passage of Scripture and walk verse by verse. That provides good accountability for me because you can call me on the carpet at, at will. Um, so this is a little uh, different. We're kind of dealing with a bunch of various scriptures. But make Sunday our priority because there's two things that we do on Sunday morning. We do Sunday school and we do worship. 
And if the word is not a central focus of either one of those, then you have my permission to stop coming. Listen, if your Sunday school teacher brings in uh, the Herald and they read the Herald for Sunday school class, either find another Sunday school class or stop going. Now, they may bring that in as an illustration, but I can promise you this, our Sunday school teachers prepare so that that time that you spend in Sunday school is not wasted time. Sure, they want to hear about your week, but they also want to hear the word. And so when you gather with the faith family, these are two awesome ways for you to know Christ more by benefiting from his word. We try to make the word a central focus of our uh, public gathering for worship. And so we'll spend um, half an hour, 35 minutes, 40 minutes. Did I hear you? Uh, do I see a hand? 45 minutes um, preaching because we think that that's important. That's one of the ways God speaks to us and it's a way that we can get to know him more. Here's the thing that's cool about groups. Groups are a twofer. You know what a twofer is? You get, you get two things for one. Not only do you get the word, you get people. And I, I will just, call me crazy, go out on a limb here and say if you're a part of our church and you're not in a Bible study or a group, you probably feel just a step detached from the church. Everybody else is the church. And you're kind of on the outside looking in. It's kind of a show or a production. It's a thing that you're kind of on the fringe for. But if you actually get involved in a group, not only do you get the word, you get people. And then when everybody's like before the service, we got to get y'all to hush up so we can get started with the worship service because the fellowship is sweet and we're enjoying each other. That's not you because you're a perpetual guest, not jumping in and building those relationships that happen. Our worship service is admittedly not the best time to build those relationships, but our small group structures are. And listen, Sunday morning is not the only time that we do groups. We do groups uh, probably every night of the week. You could find a group if you go to our website. But on Sunday mornings, we make the word a priority both in worship and in our Sunday school structure as well. Here's, here's my desire for you, okay? And um, you, didn't ask, you, you didn't ask me to take up space in your priority list for 2017. Um, you, you have not given me access to your agenda. Uh, but if I, could, if I could pray a wish upon you, it would be that your personal discipleship of knowing him is better in 2017 than it is in 2016. Now, if you don't think that that's an imposition. If it is, then we need to talk. We have bigger problems than, than that. But my desire is for your discipleship to be better in 2017 than it was in 2016. Last January uh, 2016, we did a huge survey. Uh, about 50 people turned it in, not as many as I would like, but enough to be a representative sample of our church that asked you questions about your walk with Christ. How vital is your time in the Word? Is, how satisfying is your prayer life? Not only do you know how to pray, but do you enjoy it? So not just head, but heart. And then hands, how, how regular are you? Fascinating, because then we broke down each of those categories. We, we can figure out that... Um, Service was the number one thing across the generations that our church loved to do. We take joy in using our time, talent, and treasure for the Lord. If that's not true of Northside Baptist Church, I don't know what is. That's, that's us. Um, here's the thing that's fascinating. Our senior adults, born, born in the 1940s, we only went back to the 1940s, on every measure of discipleship scored way above the average of our entire congregation. So when it came to being committed to the word, guess who our most committed group of people were? People born in the 1940s. People who had a deep, satisfying, and vital prayer life. Guess who the number one generation was that that was? People born in the 1940s. Now, there's nothing special about the 1940s. They also have the benefit of having spent 60 or 70 years in the church and learning these things, and they also have a little more life experience than we do. 
but on every objective measure of discipleship that we have, they were at or above the average for our church. Guess who had the weakest time in the Word and the least vital prayer life? People born in the 90s. Now, here, here's the thing I understand, and this is not a generational thing. When, if you're born in the 90s, you are not old enough to know what you don't know. I remember that really well. But I'm now at the point that I'm old enough to know that there are things that I don't know, and I even know what I don't know. You come ask me a question, I don't know. I'm really glad to say that. And a chief among the things that I don't know is math. So I had to get that in. It's been a few weeks. So um, I'll hear that later. My wife is a math teacher, and she hates it when I say, I don't like math. You're perpetrating, you know, characterization of mathematics. I don't care. I don't like math. Um, (laughs) Never have, never will. That's why I married someone who does math. I never have to do math. It's wonderful. (sighs) Sorry. Kids, you still have to do your homework. <laughs> it's terrible for my kids. Because listen, I, it, seeing math, that's fine for me. Uh-uh, not for mom. They better get 100%. So pray for my kids. Um, they need it. There's, there's another way that we can know Christ. And it's, it's one of these strange things. We Moving into our, we're finished here in just a second. We can know him in another way. And you, you've got a blank for this. We can also know him more by making him known. You're busy filling in the blank. You're not thinking. Think about that for a second. You know him by making him known. All right, is the light bulb going on for anybody yet? You get to know him better by making him known. And there's a really simple thing for this. Anybody who has ever taught anything, I don't care if you're teaching how to brush your teeth, if you're teaching Sunday school, if you're teaching vacation Bible school, on a mission trip, teaching Sunday school or small group. You learn more when you teach it. You know that? So like, you want to know him more? Maybe some of you need to step up and teach in some kind of capacity. You think the whole purpose of you teaching is for other people's benefit, but you will always glean more for yourself than you will ever be able to give to anybody. That's just the way that it happens. And so when we cross the line from a very self-focused, yes, I want to know him more. I want the benefit of knowing him more to living for the benefit of others. You are fulfilling the Great Commission, but you are also knowing him more by taking on the role of being a teacher to someone. You always know a subject better when you have taught the subject. And while making him known seems like it is completely other-centered, it's another twofer. When you're involved in making him known, you are knowing him better. And making him known is simply talking about him to others. You don't need to have a pre-stage plan. You don't need to have a 20-minute monologue that they're trying everything they can to get away from you. And you're, no, that's not, that's not a good model for evangelism. It's just talking to people. Here's the thing. I have been told that there's a big football game tomorrow night. Whether you watch it or not, you will know who wins. Like you, you may not have a TV in your house, and you will know who wins. Why? Because whether they win or lose, nobody's going to stop talking about it this week, especially not in South Carolina. Because you talk about what you know. Problem is, some of us know Clemson football better than we know our Lord and Savior. And my concern is that we don't do a lot of making known because we're not sure that we really know him. 
Friends, that is a huge problem. Listen, when we came in this morning and you hear the hubbub before the service starts, I am willing to bet that there was no serious conversation about the role that NASA will play in the Trump administration. Nor was there a ton of conversation about new regulations that the Food and Drug Administration put out. Why? Because we're not rocket scientists and pharmacists. We don't know enough to even have an intelligent conversation about that. But if we know Christ, if we know Christ, shouldn't we know enough to tell someone else how to know him too? And my fear is that if you don't know him well enough to tell... Take your personality. I'm an introvert. God bless you. We need introverts. Take your personality out of it. If you don't know Christ well enough to tell someone else about him, then you don't know Christ. I'll be that bold. Yeah, here's, here's the thing that's crazy. You know, we think that evangelism is, is relegated to the realm of extroverts, okay? So what if, a, what if an extrovert uh, wants to share the gospel and he comes down to an introvert? What's going to happen in that relationship? What's the introvert going to do? He can get away. Like, they don't like us. You know, <laughs> introverts do not like extroverts. And not that you can ever do more harm than good, but my zealousness may not be the thing that an introvert needs. If an introvert and an introvert get together, what happens? Uh, you just hear crickets. No, no. Um, they, they can't identify. Okay? So introverts, I don't want to water down the Great Commission. If you would just take on the Great Commission to other introverts. We'll let the extroverts deal with the extroverts. Nobody, nobody else, none of the introverts want to be with the extroverts anyways. You know? So reach the people who are like you because there are people who need the Lord who don't want, you know, big, happy Bible thumper coming after them. It scares them off. But there are people who God has made you just right for reaching. And so this idea of making him known is not a multiple choice thing. We have to be involved in it. So let's make sure we're clear about a couple of things. We'll wrap this up. We have established that knowing Jesus is eternal life. And in case it is unclear, listen to uh, these two scriptures. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means that no Jew is saved in their Jewishness. No Muslim is saved in their Islamism. No New Ager is served in their New Ageism. No Hare Krishna is saved in their flower distribution. It is, doesn't happen. Jesus says, you want to know the way? There is one way. There's not multiple doors. It's not choose your own adventure. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life, period. That's the way that it happens. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12 says this, Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, And he said to the people that were gathered, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, but he has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. It's crystal clear. The Father and the Son are a package deal. You don't get one without the other. Also, it's crystal clear that the way for people to be saved is in the name of Jesus. You must have personal, conscious faith in Christ. It it is not like people accidentally worship Jesus. Oh yeah, this Buddhist, you know, looking at his belly button, he's really worshiped. No, 
They have to know the name. They need to know him, not just be spiritual. If that's the case, everybody be saved. It is through Jesus, and it's, not, it's in his name, not the name of your church, not the name of your grandma, not the name of your denominational affiliation, certainly not the name of your political party. It's not in the name of what you have or haven't done. It is only through what Jesus has done that people are saved. You can't do anything to fix it. You can't do anything to add to it. It is simply through Christ. And here's the issue. I think if we are forced to choose, we will take the, yes, I want to know him. And we will leave the make him known to somebody else. Somebody else will do it. God, God will raise somebody else up. It's not my spiritual gift. I hate people. I want them to go to hell. You don't actually say that. But isn't that what you communicate? Here's the point. Our lack of action makes us accomplices in sentencing people to a Christless eternity in hell. Do you really want to be an accomplice to that? Guilty. Oh, God will save him if he wants to. Yeah, he will. It's just that he's told us that the way he wants to save people is by sending his children who have been declared his ambassadors and deputized with the Holy Spirit and the Great Commission to go because he's given all authority to the proclamation of the way of salvation to people who are already saved and they are the mouthpiece that proclaims the gospel to people who don't know him. That's how God saves people. And if we don't speak up, we are guilty of being accomplices in their own condemnation. So God tells us what his plan is. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 and 3 says this. Paul is being asked about his credentials. Paul is not that impressive. Although he was very learned, he evidently spoke with a stutter. I don't know. There was something about his rhetorical style that was not as refined as some of the finer speakers. And so they asked him for his credentials. You know, where'd you go to school? Where's your letter of reference? And here's how Paul responds. He says, you, yourselves, are our letter written on our hearts, but recognized and read by everyone. It is clear that you are Christ's letter produced by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. That's God's plan. To send millions of his letters around the globe to let your life and your words and your works shine and proclaim his name. There's no reason in the world for somebody not to have a Bible today. There are a few closed regions of the world where it is very difficult to get a copy of the scriptures. But people are watching, and while they may never crack open their book, they are watching your life. So if you are a letter of Christ, what do they read on your pages? Here's the worst thing that I think could be said about you at your funeral. He was a good guy. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing to be said? Because you know what? I know it's your funeral, but you're not. I'm not. The Bible says my heart is so wicked. I don't I, I know. I, I know what I don't know. I know that I'm wicked. But I don't even know how wicked I am and how if God's spirit was not restraining base or impulses, what I might be capable of is bad. I know that. 
The Bible says you're not a good person. And yet we think in the Bible Belt South, the best thing we can say is that he's a good man. The problem is hell's going to be full of good men and good women. But it's not going to be full of people who follow Christ. People who know him and make him known. Those are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So here's a question for you. Yes, we want to know him more in 2017. Yes, we want to make him known more in 2017. The challenge is, the reason that churches have to do evangelism is because Christians don't. Do you get that? The reason churches have to do evangelism is because Christians don't. Churches should not have to do evangelism because it should be the natural warp and woof of life that Christians share the gospel wherever they go. Because the truth is, the more you program it, the more you kill it. And when you reduce visitation to Tuesday night between 6 and 7, you've just told 99% of your congregation that they don't need to show up. The Great Commission is 24-7. We're supposed to do it. So here's, here's the thing. Is there someone on your mind or on your heart that you need to share with this year? Because as long as you're trying to reach everybody indiscriminately and no one specifically, you'll never reach anybody. You haven't have a target. You don't even know what you're shooting at. So here's the thing. There's, there's little communication cards here. And I think that there's a value in vocalizing what you want to be responsible for. And so you write that on the card, guess what? The staff will now have access that Hope's praying for Joe. You know, that Bruce is praying for Mike. And then I could, on a random Sunday, say, Bruce, how's it going with Mike, man? Man, I haven't done anything yet. Well, it doesn't sound like the 2017 you said you wanted on January 8th. No, no, I need to get to it. All right, man, let me pray for you. How can I help? How can I help? Is there training that you need? Would you show up? Because like they say that when a church does evangelism training, it's like turning the lights on in your kitchen in the middle of the night, the roaches just scatter. Like you say, hey, we're going to, guess what? We're going to have a special meeting next Saturday morning from 9 to 12. We're going to do evangelism training. The chairman of deacons will show up and the staff because they get paid to. Would you show up if we did evangelism training? We have some really neat opportunities with some really gifted people in the Charlotte area that are willing to come down and help us find a way to do, um, I don't know what we'd call them, gospel outposts starting Bible studies in the community that are really kind of mini house churches because there are people, there are people in particular uh, locales that would be very intimidated, intimidated to walk into this building. So do we just write them off with the gospel? Or do we find two or three people who are willing to band up and go into that neighborhood or into that trailer park or into that apartment complex? It'd be awesome. It'd be like special forces for Jesus. Take the little gospel machine. Sorry. Too much Rambo over Christmas break. Knowing him and making him known. Totally simple. Immensely challenging. The question is, what will you do to know him and to make him known? Pray for me, please. Father, give us the grace and the conviction and the boldness to not merely be hearers of the word, but to be doers. Father, we pray, and we pray this not just for ourselves, we pray it for our church, and we think of individual friends in this faith family, that we say, Father, bless them with the deepest walk with Christ this year that they've ever had. What a wonderful thing for us to pray. Father, to light a fire within us, to recognize your sovereign design and goodness and making us who we are with our personalities and our temperaments 
in helping us to use them to the very best of our ability for your glory and for gospel proclamation. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we started to see believers pair up to reach one person's friend so that we didn't feel like we were on an island trying to do it by ourselves, but we saw believers coming together for the purpose of reaching those people that we care about. The temptation will be great for us to walk away and to allow these words to pass in one ear and out the other. And we pray that you indeed help us to be doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.